Welcome to the In the Oil Patch radio show, broadcasting from the SR Trident studio. SR Trident, where safety is a culture, not just a word. In the Oil Patch radio show with Kimball Auto is where you will hear the latest in the oil, gas, and energy industry from a wide variety of industry experts, elected officials, and more, right here on In the Oil Patch radio show. And welcome to In the Oil Patch radio show. I'm your host, Kim Pilato, along with my co-host, David Blackman, who is also the editor of Shell Magazine. And our guest today is the president of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, Jason Modulin. But before I bring the guys on, this is an open mic live show. So if you have any questions for Jason, David, or myself, please call 210-308-8867 or the toll-free number 866 866- Three zero eight 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 six seven, and while we're having our phone lines load up, uh, I wanted to also be sure to tell you guys to please go to our Facebook page. It's in the Woolpatch Radio Show, and you can also send us a question there. And be sure to like our page. Before I bring on the guys, I'd like to tell you about the latest issue of Shell Magazine. The feature is Brian Freed, who is the CEO of Epic Midstream. That's a great company, a five billion dollar company, uh, fairly new considering there's a lot of other energy companies that have been on or have existed for a long time, they have a great story. So I encourage you to go to shellmag.com and click on the uh, link. And you can read all about Brian Freed and, of course, Epic Midstream. There's also tons of other great articles to read about uh, energy. So I encourage you to go to shellmag.com. And I'd also like to tell you about our state of energy that is scheduled for February the 2nd, 2022. It's a luncheon. It'll be at the Houston Club downtown. Our keynote is Chairman Wayne Christian of the Texas Railroad Commission. We will have um, CEOs from Mike Howard, uh, which is with Howard Energy, also Phil Anderson, who is a senior vice president with Enbridge, Sean Strawbridge, CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi, and we'll be discussing crude pricing with uh, Bruce Fullenweider, who is the vice president of Argus Media. Definitely want to get your tickets now or to sponsor the event. It will be a sold-out event February the 2nd, 2022. For more information, please visit shellmag.com and click on the banner ad that says State of Energy Houston. Now, let me welcome on my co-host, David Blackman, and the president of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, Jason Modulin. Guys, welcome to this week's live show. Hey, good to be here. Jason? Hi, Kim. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I, I did. Um, I hope you guys did, too. I'm sure all of us are facing the same thing, those unwanted pounds that, of course, we gained <laughs> over, <laughs> over the long uh, and nice holiday. So um, I, there's a lot going on, right? Uh, prior to Thanksgiving, uh, there was a lot of things breaking. I hope to get into uh, all of it, especially with the Biden administration. Uh, so but before we get started, Jason, tell us a quick rundown on the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. You guys are always busy. It's an association that, that, that if you're in oil and gas or if you're selling into oil and gas, you want to be a part of. Uh, tell us your role, your mission real quick before we get started with questions. Absolutely. Well, the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers is a 90-year-old trade association based here in Texas, representing small family-run operators, um, uh, the upstream oil and gas industry, and we represent them in Austin and in Washington, D.C., advocating for smart energy and environmental policies to make sure that we continue to have uh, independence in Texas, uh, producing oil and natural gas, and, and have that for the long run for our economy and for our kids and, and for the te- state of Texas. 
I would imagine that the alliance is probably more important than ever uh, because there is such a transition going on. And I think that the when I say smaller operators, I don't mean it in any way. Uh, th- these are huge operators, but considering that there are some global uh, energy producers, they're considered small. Um, just the amount of regulation, the amount of obstacles they face, the pressure of of going into some form of transition or carbon capture, you, you hear all kinds of things going on. Uh, how, how difficult is it to navigate right now in, in these waters with this administration? I, I think the level of uncertainty is high, whether it's from the administration or whether it's from some of these global conversations. But that that's why we prize and, and value independence is that they are really the heart of innovation in the oil and gas industry. Um, uh, they see problems and they go and fix them and, and they're close uh, to the till, if you will. Um, and so they're able to move quickly um, and address issues and, and where they see that there's opportunities uh, to either produce more oil and natural gas, do so more environmentally friendly or, or to simply take a waste product and, and convert it into a moneymaker. Um, independents really have the strength and the track record uh, to do that. Um, and so that's why we we uh, have such a, a great reception when we go and talk to uh, Congress or when we talk to the Texas legislature because they've seen uh, the track record. They know uh, that small independent businesses based here in Texas can step up and deliver uh, when given the opportunity and not micromanaged or, or controlled uh, with overburdensome regulation. Very, very interesting time we're living in with the administration. We're going to get into that. Um, Let me go to the phone lines real quick. Uh, We have one of our favorite uh, listeners, Joe from the Woodlands. Joe, uh, what is your question for uh, Jason uh, and or David? Hi, hi, Joe. How are you? Joe, can you hear me? Uh, Yes, I'm here. Hi. What's your question? For a few seconds. (laughs) That's okay. What's your question for today? Uh, the question is about the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, and uh, as we all know, President Trump uh, filled it back up a few years ago, and right now, with the current crisis that we're in, or the high uh, energy prices, uh, uh, Biden is using it up, and as I know, we have about 600 million barrels throughout various uh, caverns throughout Texas and Louisiana However, 18 million barrels per day are being used. Is there a danger that we are going to go back to low levels mm-hmm. again? And will, uh, uh, you know, if these pipelines are shut down, will we ever be able to refill it? That's, a good, That's basically the question. That's a good question. But good question. Before you guys answer that, can we just start with, there are listeners who are not very, they've heard it. What is the Strategic Petroleum Reserve? What was it designed to do? Let's start with that, and then we'll get into Joe's question. Sure. Uh, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve was built up in the 1970s. It's four salt domes, two in Texas, two in Louisiana. Um, and they hold, uh, as Joe mentioned, about 600 million barrels. Um, w- what we've seen so far from the Biden administration is a release of about 50 million barrels uh, David, you'd have better numbers. Somewhere about 20 million barrels were already going to be released as directed by Congress. Right. Uh, and the Department of Energy kind of uh, uh, said we need 30 million more barrels on top of that uh, to go along with a coordinated release um, uh, of some 60 million barrels uh, globally. 
and, and Joe, you put the, the the finger right on the number. It's 18 million barrels that that the United States uses on a daily basis. So we're talking about two two and a half days um, of, of supply that they've released as part of this. Uh, otherwise, it, it's coming from um, private storage, and then from producers is where we're getting the number of other uh, our sources, it, along with imports, uh, is a significant amount of, of our daily use. But the strategic yeah, petroleum oh, reserve, well, the, the street, what was it really designed to do? Just hold, house the oil? My understanding, it's not. So I want somebody to, to explain to, to us well, how significant it, this is. It's, it's very significant. I mean, it exists as a national security measure to make sure that our military and our economy have oil reserves on hand for when we're in a true national emergency. Gas prices at $3 and a quarter, while uncomfortable, doesn't exactly constitute uh, a national emergency. And uh, the more oil we remove from our reserve, the less secure we are as a country. Uh, you know, and, and that's just a reality. Joe's right. Uh, President Trump did fill it up at, at very low prices a few years ago. Um, and since that time, Congress has twice voted to, to release some of it uh, as stupid pay fars for some of their spending programs, um, which is really a poor use of this, this reserve. And now Biden was desperate to be seen as doing something about gasoline prices and so he chose to do this right before Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, I mean, it just, it, it's a, a purely political move, uh, really poorly thought out, wasn't enough oil to make any difference really. And um, it's just a real shame because if we do have a national emergency, now we have, you know, what is it? Uh, about 8% less in reserve than we had before. Jason, do you want to add to that? Cause I mean, I, I can, just think about why why if you have why are you releasing this amount when it's considered to be for a national emergency which you're right david this isn't a national emergency this is more of a poll numbers are sagging and therefore we need to do something but it's really two days only of what's going to be released of the consumption that we use so you know when you hear this administration saying that and then of course um, they're also saying that it, the oil companies are not doing their fair share of they need to release more. And they're, you know, kind of also insinuating that oil companies are price gouging uh, the pump. This is just not true. Um, and, you know, this is why our show exists, is to help people really navigate through what is truthful and what is not truthful. So when we come back from break, we're going to really kind of break this down because there's a lot going on with the releasing of this uh, millions of, of barrels. You're, we're, you're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we will be right back. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C., 
and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. Remember this name, Oilfield Experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oilfield equipment needs. Oilfield Experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oilfield parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oilfield Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. And visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. And welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. This is our live show in which Jason Modulin, the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, is here to answer any questions you might have pertaining to oil and gas. Please feel free to call in if you want to join the energy discussion at 210-308-8867. Also is my co-host David Blackman, who is also the editor of Shell Magazine. Uh, Once again, the number to call in is 210-308-8867. Guys, before the break, we were talking about uh, the announcement that the Biden administration made on Tuesday to release 50 million barrels of crude oil from the nation's Strategic Petroleum Reserve. We did discuss before the break how important this petroleum reserve is. It was created more for uh, national security reasons than just to release on the market when gas prices are high. But I want to get back on that topic because I think it's important to understand um, any, besides maybe a matter of national security, is there any upside to them doing this? And um, as Joe mentioned from the Woodlands earlier, um, how do we put this back? And when do we put this back? So uh, thoughts on on where are we going with this? And then the other thought is, it seems like there's a lot of other things going on in the administration that kind of counter, why are you doing this, like stopping the Keystone Pipeline on day one and going after other pipelines as well. So I just kind of want to get a balance here of um, how confusing this must be to the average person to not understand why is this, why is this happening? It's very confusing. Uh- I think you're nailing that, Kim, that that it's a struggle to find kind of a coordinated energy policy coming from this administration where they have begged OPEC to increase supply in the global market uh, while trying to constrain our neighbors, uh, Russia, uh, excuse me, Canada and Mexico, uh, all the while increasing imports from Russia uh, and other OPEC plus countries. Uh, we continue to see constraints here in the United States on producers. Um, and now we have this this very small release of the SPR purely, uh, as David mentioned, for political reasons, uh, with some slap back at OPEC, uh, getting India, Japan, South Korea, and China to, to coordinate a release as well. Um, we continue to see just a struggle uh, to, to find adequate uh, energy policy from this administration. Um, they're trying to satisfy a, a pretty far left base of environmentalists that want to do away with oil and gas entirely. Um, and, and they're taking it out on American producers. Very yeah, interesting. And, and 
a couple of other things about this, you know, uh, one is that they, they've authorized the release strictly of sour grade crude from the reserve, which most refiners do not want to handle in their refineries because it contains a lot of sulfur. So that's going to make it more expensive to refine and thus increase the ultimate cost to the consumer for this particular crude oil when it's turned into gasoline at these refineries. And then the second thing is, you know, by putting this much additional oil on the market, uh, we have now seen Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, Iraq, and Russian oil ministers start talking about, well, you know, because uh, Biden has done this and, and these other countries are starting to release very small volumes from their own reserves, you know, a total of maybe 10 million barrels total from those other countries. Uh, OPEC plus meets every month to determine uh, how much oil it's going to put on the market as a cartel. And over the past five months, they have added 400,000 barrels a day at the first of every month to what they're exporting onto the market. Now they're saying, well, you know, uh, because these countries have begun to flood the market from their own petroleum reserves, well, we need now to reconsider whether we want to continue doing that at the first of every month through next April 1st, which is the current plan. So you think about it, they've already added uh, hundreds of millions of barrels onto the market as a result of that program over the last five months. And if they were to continue it for another five months, they would add that many barrels more. But now you're talking about OPEC plus maybe saying, oops, Maybe this month we don't want to do that. And what's that going to do? Well, it's going to cause the price to go higher. And, and so whoever came up with this bright idea in the administration, as is this administration's habit, did not think it through to its ultimate logical conclusion and, and think about what the unintended consequences of making that particular political move might be. And, and finally, to answer the other question is, yes, we ultimately should hopefully replace this oil. And what we're gonna have to do is buy it back on the open market, which is how uh, the, the reserve always gets filled. And, you know, if right now, because the, the price collapsed on Friday due to this new COVID variant, which we'll talk about in a minute, I'm sure, um, it's very cheap. So maybe the Biden administration want to turn around tomorrow and buy it all back at the current low price, because what's going to happen uh, once everything stabilizes related to COVID is it's going to start going up again. <laughs> so it may be more expensive to refill it than what they're able to sell it for now. And it's, it's just so dumb. And, and frankly, well, dumb, I think, is just the best word for it. Well, you know, as we get ready to go into break, I do want to also bring up in the next segment, uh, Clint, I know you're on hold. We'll, we'll pick you up on the back end of the, the, the commercial break. But there's also a lot of discussion on this administration and its leadership that it has placed. Jason, I, I'd like your comments when we come back from break on the Secretary of Energy. She's made some really strong. Uh, strange comments that don't quite make sense if you're the Secretary of Energy. And then there's a, a few other uh, high-ranking officials that are really focusing on energy. And, and, and you've got to wonder how how much do they really understand what they're doing? And, and are these the people that are actually really talking to the Biden administration and, and coming down with these policies because they're, they're, they're really um, 
uh, troubling their statements. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to on the Wall Patch Radio Show, and we will be right back. Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our business profile that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, advertising and social media and search engine optimization all of these areas really affect how google ranks your entire listing so if ranking on page one is your goal pick up the phone and call us now 210-240-7188 or simply go to shalemag.com slash business profile we'll be in contact with you within 24 hours once again pick up the phone and call us now 210-240-7188 or simply go to shalemag.com that's s-h-a-l-e-m-a-g.com slash business profile start dealing with a company you can trust and always find And we're back. You're listening to on the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Jason Modulin, the president of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, and my co-host, David Blackman, who is also the editor of Shell Magazine. If you'd like to join in and ask a question pertaining to energy, climate, you name it, we're here to answer those questions. Please call 210-308-8867 or toll-free 866-308-8867. Uh, Jason, David, before the break, we were discussing uh, the petroleum reserve. I think we've covered that. I, I want to get Clint on the line. Uh, he's been holding for a long time. Clint, are you there from San Antonio? What is your question? Yes. Uh, can you hear me? I can hear you. Sure. Go ahead. My question is, uh, with the new anti-OPEC uh, group officially emerges, can you go into more, more details with this, and who is this new group? Well, that's something I haven't really heard. Um is there a new emerging OPEC group or a post OPEC group? And if so, guys, who is it? I think that's what he asked. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I know there is proposed legislation um, that would enable uh, consumers and, and businesses impacted in the United States by high oil prices to sue OPEC. It's called the no OPEC legislation. Um, that has been brought up again in Congress and has been brought up in every Congress since about 2001, I think. Um, but I'm not sure if, uh, I haven't heard about any other uh, cartel of any kind being formed. Have you, Jason? No, uh, haven't heard of that. Um, uh, certainly when the United States started to become energy independent uh, was the best opportunity for us uh, to push back against uh, some of these this uh, cartel type activity, um, uh, but really we've seen uh, lately OPEC really be uh, kind of a partner um, in trying to meet uh, the, the world's energy needs, uh, and then we have some of these policies that stop pipeline infrastructure, stop uh, the movement of crude and natural gas, uh, really being the impediment. I will say uh, that I did see a, a statement by um, 
the head of the UN's uh, International Energy Agency, criticizing OPEC Plus for artificially uh, restricting production and, and causing the price of crude to be higher than it otherwise would be. Um, but I haven't I haven't seen any any news about another group of countries uh, forming to oppose OPEC. Well, David, you also brought up before the break, um, you know, the the new COVID variant and and how is this going to affect oil prices? Did you have a question on that? Well, Jay, yeah, Jason, you know, we we uh, the price of oil did drop uh, dramatically on Friday uh, after uh, President Biden announced uh, his uh, travel ban from from these seven Russian countries and the World Health Organization uh, made its announcement naming this new COVID variant. And uh, I just uh, wonder uh, what your views might be uh, about that and how temporary or long term uh, that impact on oil prices might end up being. I, I think it's largely temporary that it was kind of an end of month um, uh, rush post Thanksgiving. We also, though, are, are, are truly worried about some of these uh, moves back to restrict uh, um, movement, uh, more lockdowns. Um, that's really going to be the, the biggest challenge yeah. uh, as we see some of these governments um, uh, close their borders and then uh, start to implement uh, these restrictions in place uh, on movement and on quarantine. That That's really the bigger challenge. I think that's what hangs over the, the economy as a whole is just this uncertainty uh, that some of these global uh, policies are bringing. And we have a travel ban going into effect tomorrow as well, right, from some of the countries right. that are showing. That's so right. uh, that'll be interesting. I mean, uh, I don't know if we necessarily believe that we're going to go into complete uh, lockdown, whereas before, but... Um, be interesting to see what happens on Monday and how travel slows down or picks up. When we get back from break, uh, I want to get back on the Biden administration halting. Um, there's 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 chatter out there that the Biden administration might want to uh, ex- uh, halt exporting U.S. crude oils. But we have to take a quick break. You're listening to an oil patch radio show and we'll be right back. Psst. Hey, you. Do you want to join the fastest growing oil and gas network in Texas? Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business. So you've got my attention. What is it? Teak is the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They hold business mixers to help businesses grow and network. Any cost to join? For the next 90 days, it's completely free. No charge to join. But they do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where should I go? Go to shalemag.com slash Teak and click on the join link. Enter your information and we'll get you set up. Join the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition at shalemag.com slash teak today. And we're back. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Jason Modlin, who is the president of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. If you'd like to join the show today and ask Jason, David, or myself an energy question, please call 210-308-8867. Guys, uh, I want to switch gears just a little bit uh, we, because there has been a discussion that uh, the Biden administration is considering an order to halt exporting of U.S. crude. 
Um, and we, well, not too long ago, some years back, maybe, uh, what, five, seven years ago, we had an export ban in place for 40 years. And um, that kind of left us, I think, in a way, uh, uh, United States was looking at other countries for our uh, oil demand, and it left us very vulnerable to getting involved in conflicts. We all know those wars, uh, rather it was the Middle East. And, and, and I guess I'm curious to get y'all's opinion on, I'm assuming this would have a, a very negative impact, but to what degree on the global supply chain, which we know it's very, very um, sensitive right now. So Jason, David, weigh in on that. Like, What happens if he puts this, and, and what are the likelihood that he puts this in place? Uh, likelihood, I, I don't know, David, I, I defer to you on, on that one. I mean, we've seen such a high degree of roll the dice with this administration <laughs> that, uh, it, it very well could pop up as a strategy they try to pursue. Uh, hopefully Congress has put enough breaks in there on an action like that to where they would truly have to justify a national emergency in order to do this. I don't think the price of $3 for the price of gasoline uh, uh, constitutes a national emergency. Uh, it would need to be something uh, uh, much more severe. Um, look, it, the, the exports that are going out today uh, are benefiting our allies and they're benefiting our trade deficit that we have with the rest of the world. Um, it's incredibly valuable to both uh, American producers, um, but also American consumers uh, that we're able to export uh, light, sweet crude and get back um, uh, more advanced uh, products, uh, uh, saving money in the process. Um, uh, and, and this would just be an economic disaster uh, for both producers, uh, but also for consumers. Yeah, I agree with you, Jason. I, I, I would hope, hope uh, that this administration would not uh, pull the trigger on anything this severe. Uh, technically, I suppose the president could uh, issue an executive order uh, declaring a national emergency, which I think he would have to do for it to stand muster in the courts, uh, declaring a national emergency and, and ordering a halt to these exports. But we have to remember that we had a law that was passed in 1977 that implemented that ban in the first place. And that law was repealed by, and, and that bill was signed by Barack Hussein Obama in, in 2015, in December of 2015, when he was president, uh, repealing that law. And that's really how anything uh, this impactful should be done. But if the president were to do that, um, you know, I would assume it would be immediately challenged in court. Uh, but if he were to succeed uh, through court appeals uh, in blocking exports, people have to remember that that we're exporting two to three million barrels of oil every day from the United States right now. And the countries, that means that oil is going to other countries on via contract, contractual arrangements that other refiners in other countries are expecting that oil to come into those countries and there's a supply chain and, and it's this highly complex and interconnected world, global supply chain that we're talking about here. And if he were to just try to stop all that, like he stopped the Keystone XL pipeline, it would cause a massive disruption in, in supply chains and frankly, in the global economy as a result of such, something like that. So. We should all hope and pray um, 
that his advisors are not able to prevail on him to to take such a radical step because it it would be very impactful to all of us. And David, you're bringing up a good point, um, Jason. Before the break, the last break, I wanted to talk about the administration, their pick, their selection of of these individuals. How confident is is the energy sector, your, the alliance, and other associations, and even the oil energy producers, that these people that he has selected um, as his administration dealing out energy policies, how how confident are you guys that they know what they're doing? Uh, not much. Um, uh, very <laughs> concerned about Secretary Granholm uh, uh, coming from Michigan, uh, so largely a, a, an automotive background, and, but uh, heavily dependent upon pipelines into that state for um, uh, heating oil and for natural gas. Uh, the, this type of animosity that they have across the administration, this uh, uh, Office of Currency Comptroller that has been nominated, Saul Omarova, um, who is an avowed Marxist uh, and has stated publicly that she wants American producers to go out of business because that is the best way uh, to address some of their climate goals, which is just completely false uh, when you're looking at imports and how American-produced oil and natural gas has lower emissions uh, related to it. Um, uh, it really, it's just a, an ideology that they're pursuing. It, it, it kind of falls apart when faced with uh, actual numbers, economics, or, or uh, uh, environmental track record. Yeah, I, you know, and it's not just the, the energy secretary, the, the interior secretary, uh, whose uh, department governs uh, production on federal lands and in the Gulf of Mexico is uh, a lifelong uh, radical left-wing activist against the oil and gas industry. Uh, the, the, the person that is the director of the Bureau of Land Management um, is a, uh, an eco-terrorist, an, an unrepentant eco-terrorist who used to be a member of, what was it, Earth First, and uh, participated in operations to spike trees to prevent them from being logged, which is very dangerous. And and so this is the very, just, just the kind of tenor of the whole administration moving in this very radical, far left-wing anti-development direction. And, uh, you know, when you have an energy secretary who doesn't even know how much oil we consume in the United States, can't answer that question off the top of her head. We're in trouble. Uh, you really have to wonder what she actually does do. Which, uh, appears not to be much. A final segment. We're going to take a quick break. If you want to join the show, it's 210 308 8867. You're listening to on the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C., and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. 
And we're back. You're listening to on the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Jason Modulin, the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. This is our last segment. So if you're interested in calling in, dial 210-308-8867. Hey, Jason. I know uh, you guys have been busy in Austin and are going to be busy uh, between now and Christmas dealing with a lot of issues uh, uh, related to the Texas grid and, and uh, the oil and gas industry's role in, in making sure that uh, the lights stay on over the winter. Wanted to, to give you a chance to kind of talk about the kinds of things uh, that are going on there in Austin right now. Absolutely. This week, the Texas Railroad Commission will adopt the first of three packages of rules uh, that they have dealing with that critical customer status. That was a key part of the failure in February was we had uh, um, uh, the power generators shutting off power to parts of the oil field and in particular to pipeline infrastructure uh, that prevented more um, natural gas coming out of the field. Uh, of course, you had a great article last week on the FERC report um, and really some of the key highlights from that report that continue uh, to not get any media attention, um, instead just running with this narrative uh, out of the Houston Chronicle and other types of critics uh, mm-hmm. attacking natural gas uh, with the goal of doing away with natural gas. I mean, that's uh, unfortunately uh, what's behind a lot of this is, is we all recognize we need more natural gas as part of our electric system. We need more thermal generation. Um, and yet some of the policies and proposals that they're pursuing uh, would negatively impact that production. Um, uh, And then we also have the Public Utility Commission uh, really starting to implement some of their weatherization requirements and their market redesign requirements. Uh, So we'll be tracking that heavily uh, for Alliance members, making sure that they're aware of how to comply uh, with some of these new requirements coming out from the Railroad Commission uh, that will kick in um, kick in this week, but but really are starting to be due uh, the 1st of January. Uh, is the PUC actually going to, quote, require res- uh, uh, weatherization this time? Because, you know, in 2011, when we had a similar event, uh, they issued guidelines and recommendations on, you know, to power plants on how they, they should, you know, go about winterizing, but there were no actual requirements to do so. Uh, yeah, are, are, that, are we going to have hard requirements this time? No, I think it's pretty light on that. They yes. have uh, adopted a guidance that, that requires them to weatherize up to the 2011 engineering standard. Um, that That's a good start, uh, but certainly 2021 uh, blew that standard out of the water. Yeah. Uh, you also had from the FERC report some 89% of electric generators fail at higher temperatures than what they're rated for. So even at today's uh, build, uh, those pieces of equipment did not perform at spec. Um, And so hopefully some of the requirements that the legislature put in place to have the PUC and ERCOT do inspections uh, of these electric facilities will result in a higher standard of care uh, than what we've seen. What happens this well, winter? I'm sorry, David. What happens this no, go ahead, winter? Go ahead. It's a little switching gears a little bit, but what happens this winter? We really do have a cold winter. And I know that um, 
David, you have, you know, voiced that we're not ready. But do you think this, what you guys are working on now, gets us, uh, I mean, how far off is it from, this, you said one of three implementations of things. W what happens from there? And, and, and how, how much will we really be able to overcome in the future? Yeah, I think it's a very good start. The Railroad Commission actually in May uh, sat down and worked with ERCOT to update some of their requirements in place, update some of their forms to make sure that parts of the pipeline industry were not interrupted. Uh, those, the, there was a broad effort uh, by both the Railroad Commission and ERCOT to get new pipeline infrastructure enrolled in that program. That did take place. I think some of the other requirements from the legislature to make sure that communications is far better when it relates to a energy emergency uh, is going to be helpful. Letting people know, similar to what they do with hurricanes, you have a few days to prepare. You need to prepare and get ready uh, in the event of bad weather or in the event that the grid is impacted. Um, those will go a long way in addressing some of these issues. Um, but David's absolutely right. We have not built more thermal generation. We haven't made it an emergency priority that we need to. Um, they've fiddled a little bit with some of the market dynamics to make sure that uh, producers are purchasing uh, more uh, reserve supply. That's a good thing, uh, yeah. but we don't have uh, new thermal generation. Uh, frankly, like we've seen Europe uh, take some generation <laughs> out of mothball status right. and put it back into the fleet. And like we've seen in California, as they've authorized and put on a fast track five new natural gas generators uh, in the state, we, we just haven't seen the same uh, level of, of activity. And it's a real mystery to me. I got to say, I, I, the Republicans in, in Austin, uh, God bless them. I probably voted for every one of them um, and probably will again next year. But uh, their, their reluctance, uh, and I don't understand what it is, to move to mandate uh, or at least incentivize the building of new thermal generation fired by natural gas in the state of Texas, where the biggest reserves of natural gas on the face of the earth exist, is just an absolute mystery to me. And I don't understand it. I, and I can't get anybody at the governor's office to answer that question. I've tried repeatedly. And um, it's really amazing to me that uh, here we are about to go into winter and we have nothing to done nothing in our state government to address that very pressing need that everyone in Austin has known about for a decade now. And I hate to be too harsh about it, but, but that, that's our reality. And if we do have a big storm this winter, the Republicans are gonna have no one else to point their fingers at. And that's a very dangerous place to be. Well, that being said, we are coming up to the <laughs> end of our show, and I'm glad that we have the Alliance heading down there to help uh, push policies and, of course, make uh, you know common sense, of, or at least helping our elected officials understand what are the real needs. Before we uh, close out the show, though, Jason, I wanted to just give our listeners your website, which is texasalliance.org. Uh, you're always looking for members, people who want to get engaged in oil and gas. I found something very interesting on your website, which is uh, an actual survey that you had conducted on uh, what the operators are facing, you know, by by their needs. And it's a pretty interesting um, 
look at what they're looking at. But one thing that caught my eye, which is something that I complain about a lot, is that we need more education, PR, and marketing. And it's good to see that that came out because I think that when we look and how we have piecemealed, you know, this show versus somebody else's show versus a podcast, we're all over the place. And a, a unified, vo- unified voice in the way of helping the American people understand the policies, energy policies are now more important than ever because it's so confusing with with uh, the Biden administration. But that is all the time we have. Thank you for your partnership in helping us explain energy. And um, we look forward to having you again as a guest next time. In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.